This week on Top Road Podcast, it's all about classics. And we look back on the 1987, 1981, 1985, 1999, 2003 World Cups. Looking back on all the iconic moments, it's me and Zach Rank. From those World Cups, for us, what are the top iconic moments? So, enjoy. Hello, welcome back to Top Podcast. Please tonight, it's going to be your man back in the studio, Zachary Hutchinson. How are you? Ralph, I'm doing well, I'm doing well. England are motoring along at six and over in the cricket, so I'm a happy boy. And uh, for those that listened to our previous pod, I do have a new mic. Um, so I'm here you already. Know, you, can, you can really hear the difference, you know, nice and crisp and clear. But I'm ready to get stuck into some kind of World Cup classics. And when I say yeah, get stuck in, kind of like you didn't talk if I, if I say it out loud now on record, then we have to do it. This is going to come out every single Friday. We're going to look back on a few iconic classic World Cup games and moments. So we've decided, Zach, today we challenge ourselves with all the ones that we weren't born with, just to kind of get them out of the way before we can go into more detail. So- we're talking like 1987, 1991, 1995, 1999, when we grew up watching rugby, playing rugby at school, what were those iconic moments for you from the early World Cups that put rugby on the map as such? Isn't like the 90s and stuff? Like getting stuck in, yeah? Yeah, just or right back to the start. Like, it sounds a bit harsh, but I didn't really know New Zealand won it right at the start because, like, they weren't... All from the narrative when we were growing up was always New Zealand don't perform World Cups, but they won one. Do you know what I mean? Like they just won that first yeah. one, but they like made it because it was so long. It was like it didn't count anymore. But yeah. that first World Cup one and Fitzpatrick and stuff. He, you know, he's he's iconic. You see him a lot nowadays, and he's pretty well known True. for his his captaincy in that World Cup. And I guess looking back on that World Cup. Do you think that was the worst thing that happened to New Zealand rugby was winning the first one? Because then they had to wait until twenty eleven until next one. <laughs> I mean, I guess, I guess so. Like it was kind of weird. Like I've even like done a bit of research into it just to kind of learn a bit more about it. And like you kind of had you, the member nations at the time who were a member of the kind of international rugby board, um, and then they like invited a bunch of different nations to also then come. It wasn't like so much like there was no qualifiers or anything. It was kind of this weird sort of like kind of feels like, you know, 1930s Uruguay football World Cup kind of vibe. You know, you get invited to come along to, <laughs> to, to New Zealand to kind of play for this thing we're going to call the Webb Ellis Cup sort of jazz. You know what I mean? So it's kind of weird. Like, you I know, mean, the impact, I think like, history history's built on how long it's been going, really. Like, there's yeah, so many true. tournaments stuff that are done on like for the example like, Cup, for example. <laughs> Second oldest rugby competition in the world. That's all I'm saying. Exactly. So that's why <laughs> when you win the first World Cup, I think that ages with time. And it's aged well when you look back yeah, now. Yeah. New Zealand free World Cups, you know. But it's a World Cup definitely that we we we've not got a lot of memories from, obviously, but 
that that for me was the standout was kind of New Zealand doing it on home soil and then the narrative obviously came around, came came back round again and then obviously that's when the narrative began as we get into the next World Cups, New Zealand probably were favourites, arguably for nearly every single one. Uh other than when Australia were red hot round, you know, uh, we kind of forget about the, the red hot kind of period. I mean, I guess as well, like, you know, if you're listening to this and you could remember some iconic moments or you were brought up with iconic moments from the 1987 World Cup, I mean, you know, reach out on Twitter and all our social media channels to uh, inform us and then we can do a a review pod <laughs> and figure and figure it out. But yeah, I mean, 1990, I, th- I would say you're right, tough in terms of like, New Zealand always. I mean, I was kind of the thing too growing up. New Zealand were always the favourites. They're always the team you wanted to watch. Um, and certainly, even from my understanding, apart from that kind of red hot Australia, it was very much Southern Hot Hemisphere dominated. You know, I mean, and even that '91 World Cup, Australia won it in in the Northern Hemisphere. Well, for me, that's when you know, like David Campisi, the the Campisi's in and out. And we can actually that, talk about iconic moments. No, <laughs> from I don't know if it's harsh, and someone could tell me if there is an iconic moment, but it's hard on YouTube these days. But that you you've seen that try over and over again, and would you say David Campisi had the first iconic individual moment? You know me, like I love just the individual moments that you can do one thing in one minute, and that's you remembered in history. As in, like a World Cup moment. Or rugby yeah. union moment, because there's certainly wait, well, we'll get on to obviously Lomu and stuff putting it on the map. But Campisi had the first. I would say the first kind of iconic rugby world cup moment. I am that man moment. Obviously, we had the inspirational leader of Fitzpatrick that we spoke about, but Campisi had the first. I am a superstar of the sport. And done it on multiple occasions too. You know, you look at um, it wasn't just the kind of the final as well. You look at um, you know, I think from an Irish perspective, that quarterfinal still hurts. Quarterfinal at Lansdowne Road against Australia, Ireland score in the last minute to kind of you know seal a semi final, first semi final. <laughs> still waiting for a semi final now, and then um, I think it's Campisi at the end checks it. Gets the try in the corner in Lansdowne Road, kind of shuts up the crowd. The crowd are, at that point, I actually do remember the highlights. You know, the crowd are actually kind of still getting off the pitch when he scores in the corner from the other try, the Irish try. So I think you're right. I think like kind of that kind of moment, you know, those moments that kind of put you in that kind of level of greatness we kind of saw from Campisi that World Cup. And also, I think from a Northern Hemisphere perspective, this is when the Rugby World Cup then came to the Northern Hemisphere. So in some ways, I reckon for a lot of people, maybe who were young growing up with rugby at that point in the late 80s, early 90s, probably for them, that's when the Rugby World Cup started to become real because it wasn't just this competition that happened four years ago in kind of, you know, the literally the other side of the world. It was on home soil. It was played across Wales, England, um, Scotland, France, you know, and then if you actually think about it, going into '95, the best thing that happened was South Africa won it. So then you had three different winners in in f- the first three tournaments, which is exactly what you want for World Cup. And obviously, this World Cup is when 
everyone says Robbie got put on the map with John Alomu. And how many times have you watched that clip of him bulldozing and over all those England players? And I'm sure Zach puts a smile on your face. <laughs> I've definitely watched it a few times. They even it was that good they even put it in Invictus. You know, kind of forget about that too. <laughs> it was that good. Um, I mean, this I feel like you know, '95 is an iconic World Cup, even for us who weren't born until the late '90s. You know, we you grow up with hearing stories about that World Cup for mo- more reasons than one. You look back to the social change that was going on in South Africa at the time and the significance of winning it in home soil and Mandela and um, Pinar kind of lifting the trophy and and then and Mandela with the Springbok jersey even now you know it's an iconic iconic moment and to beat New Zealand who once again were red hot favorites going in um it was it was a very you know when you World Cup, and then obviously, you know, things like Invictus obviously helped that too, to kind of raise the profile of it and the kind of the background to the South Africa team and, and things like that, but There's only one thing I mean, to shout out, Zach, to go and listen to, isn't there? Yep. Tell us. Pod we did a long time ago on the 95 World Cup. If you scroll the whole way back on your Apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts, um, Rudy Joubert, the at the time was the ah oh, I've kind of bottled it now. He was like a technical what was advisor. Yes, yeah, a technical advisor. I was trying to think of the right term, not technical director, technical advisor to the Springbok. Actually, to be fair, he actually gave a pretty iconic kind of view of like being a kind of at that point, you know, backroom staff perspective on you know not just the rugby itself, but the social change in South Africa. So. I think and the he fact told us that how they plan to stop Lomu in the final. Yeah, it's true. So, so it's definitely the, the worth Blitz defense. It was basically like a shooting up, but like it's basically the South Africa system now. But back in '95, like the wingers shoot up, close the space. It is, it is a, it's a great lesson. So yeah, go back, read Joubert. Great pod, and he gives a real insight and then into the emotion that day, and how it felt in the stadium and the. Planes flying over and Mandela and I know you want to say it, Zach, that that is the best World Cup for wow moment. Spectacle. I think, yeah. I mean Emotion. like if you, it had everything, didn't it? I mean, like if you were really going to I mean, I'd love to hear someone talk about you know, a different World Cup moment that surpasses that. I know 2019, the significance of everything that South Africa winning through, but you got, and 2007, South Africa also won, but you got to remember that this was in South Africa. You know, apartheid had only ended a couple of years previously. Mandela was president. It was a major moment, kind of, not just, I feel like the whole world was watching. Well, that's kind of the vibe you get when you research it. Like the entire world was was watching this powerful Put it, powerful put it on the... It put it back on the back on the pedestal, back on the back on the world stage. And it was obviously Lomu was the big reason. People tuned in to see this guy. Um yeah. South Africa stopped them and then won it. What do you think that World Cup would be remembered for if Lomu scored a couple and won it himself? Do you think that changes anything with Yeah, it probably changes does it still be the greatest because then it's his World Cup? Or I think even it, whatever happened in that final, it was going to be remembered as one of the most iconic. I mean, certainly, yeah, I, I, I do get that in terms of like, 
I think it would have changed probably maybe the trajectory of not just the Springbok, but of South Africa as a nation. Um, you know, you know, as a nation, you need those kind of icon- iconic moments in your history to kind of move you forward. And then in 07 and 2019, you see another moving forward moment. So in some ways, it would have just been a little nations like Ireland have struggled in World Cup because there's nothing to go back on to inspire the next generation. Well, well certainly, 100%. You know, and why actually I think it's so important to have World Cups in your home nation it inspires a generation not just but like i mean like this is not a tangent but not just you know world cups we're talking like any major sporting occasion you know i mean you think of the amount of now i would say that maybe the london olympics in 2012 maybe hasn't had the same impact as what they thought it would initially have but you look at world cup in south africa south africa win it and the just um the change that you see from that, you know, a generation growing up wanting to be a Springbok. But not only that, but also black South Africans watching Chester Williams win the World Cup, aspiring to be a Springbok. That's a powerful, powerful image to have. And then you look at, you know, as well, I just, that then, sorry, my point being, which is why I'm still annoyed that Ireland didn't get this World Cup. I think that Ireland, if it was to have it, I certainly think it could cope, but... I think you're right. It's probably that element, but there's a whole other thing with that too. You know, you think of culture and and the fact that they it, it was kind of something you not brought up is the game against England with yep. all the drop all the drop kicks, and you've literally said, "Why is drop kicks out out of rugby?" It's true. I mean, like you could argue this was the uh, I don't know the drop kick World Cup. <laughs> you know, you look at you look at the final. And you know they might have dropped kick, the drop kicks that were scored to to win. You know, like why? I, yeah, Stransky with the with the drop kicks. If anything, it's kind of iconic in itself. You know. And what about the big New Zealand drop kick too? Remember yeah. that one? No, I don't remember that one. It's not. An, I don't think it was an Invictus. So if it wasn't an Invictus, I wouldn't remember. <laughs> Big number eight, just pinging it over from fifty. Then you look later on, mate. But um, to be fair, this World Cup also had the hundred and forty-five seventeen result, New Zealand against Japan. <laughs> you know, the guy is pretty. Like when you when you look at that, you're like, what on earth? Now, nah, yeah, the yeah that game for the drop kicks. Then the moment, the final, as you say, the emotion, everything. It takes takes so many, so many huge boxes in them. What I was sending you today, the '99 final, which I sometimes call the forgotten final, because it, it is the forgotten final. Doesn't get a lot of airtime, and it was probably the most dominant win, 35-12 Australia France in the Millennium Stadium, battered them in the final. Um, so that and has also to be was... the most comprehensive win of a World Cup in '99, and it doesn't get enough love. And this You're is right. Pod, this is our pod. We shed light on <laughs> the complete nausea rugby stuff, and that final is just—it needs more respect, Zach. I mean, it's also like the fact that it happened in our own backyard. If anything, this was the World Cup that put the Millennium Stadium on the map. <laughs> you know, it was, this was it kind of, this was it sort of, I don't know, debut, debutante 
competition to kind of see it truly in action, you know, opened by the at that time the Prince of Wales. Um Matt Burke. But again, seven, like it, it seven, it's like a, seven penalties. It's it is a weird one because Je- I'm with you though, because like like you're brought up with the stories of 03, 95, even 91, you know, the Campisi in the corner against Ireland. But 99 gets nothing. And maybe it's because, I'm actually thinking about this, maybe it's because there's no doc, well, not that I'm aware of, but there's no documentary or movie on 99. You know, you've got Building Jerusalem for 03, you've got Invictus for 95. Maybe that's the problem. Maybe there just needs to be like a... A well, documentary. Well, do, you think, do you think that there was teams, Australia, France? Do you think that was enough of a pool at the time? Yeah, I mean, there's that element too. Like, to be fair, if a Northern Hemisphere team wins it, I reckon you never hear the end of it. You know, there's there's that kind of element. But, you know, there well, wasn't Finnegan, even... Finnegan scored in the 65th minute and then they scored a try in the last, in the 8th minute. So, they, it was, he he had 7 out of 7 penalty out of 2 conversions. So, yeah. It was 100% off the boot, so it was basically just penalties until the 65th minute, so that's another reason, and then they just got two late tries and broke away. But obviously that Finnegan try, the um, the Gregan little flip back inside to him. Yes, so, I do remember that. Well, not remember it. Shout out to Paddy at Sefton Rugby Club. He, we, me and him used to use that call to do, so like a move got based on him, and so many grassroots rugby teams call it Gregan for the little flip back inside. Mm, yeah. Like, he, he is a fool. Just one individual moment, and he has he has rugby clubs all over the country naming it. Yeah, Gregan, Gregan off nine, Gregan off nine. Yeah, we flip back inside. That's iconic. Got... Like, that's purely yeah, it is. iconic. you got to remember at the time, too, if you imagine, you know, it's 1999, rugby's just gone professional and it's kind of adjusting to that. And Australia are very much leading the way in that, too. They're the ones with the big money. They're the ones kind of flying the flag. You know, it's also, you know, something, I think it's a documentary idea in itself, the fall of Australian rugby. To go from that point, world champions, two World Cups at that point the most. I mean, there's only been four, but two World Cups. You're leading the way domestically, internationally, and this is kind of weird fall from grace, you know. That's it, yeah. The first double champs on on Clyde Nine. On Northern Hemisphere. Larkham, Hemisphere. Larkham, Roth, you know. Like it's packed full of stars, that team. You know, it's a team that probably doesn't get the respect it deserves, probably outside of Australia. Yeah. Maybe maybe that's a pod in itself. And then we need to raise awareness. That team, obviously, well, whoever was left, that team then back again in 03. Do you think yep. them winning it in 99 when they hosted an 03 probably put so much? Imagine hosting a World Cup as defending champions. And there's that element too of just the nature of Australian culture and society and the pressure that they put on their sports teams. Obviously, New Zealand take it to a whole another level with rugby, the rugby team, you know, things like, you know, 92% winning ratio is not enough or whatever. But, I mean, the pressure they must have been under, you know, at that point, you're still probably leading the way in terms of um, domestically, internationally, the pressure to retain a World Cup on your home soil. I mean, I can't even begin to imagine how you even kind of handle that pressure. And in the end, they didn't handle it enough and lost it an extra time, Dingle. 
to what yeah. is arguably the iconic moment. No, would you say the Johnny Wilkinson uh, drop? Gregan's the most iconic moment in World Cup history. Do we flip? <laughs> I don't know. I think it's no. I'm joking. It, it, like it is, you know. It's the photo it's wise the... probably is, but that's probably because we're over in the UK. That's all we see. Yeah, true, true. That's the thing. It'd be interesting to see an Australian perspective in that World Cup because all we hear about it was it's almost like it was inevitable that England were going to win, but then you actually stop for a second and actually realize, wait a minute, England here are going it up was against. So similar to 2019, where Australia maybe played their final against New Zealand in the semi final. You know, more glocks intercept, ran the pitch. It was like, wow, they've just dismantled the All Blacks, one of the favourites. Like, they're going to walk this now, whereas England, as famously, they'd beaten everyone, won the slam, beaten everyone, beat New Zealand, New Zealand. They themselves thought they were the big team. And in terms of a, I think that was probably the best final. For me, to win it in the last minute is the best, isn't it? it, it I mean, it doesn't get much bigger than that. And it, actually, one of the books I got out of the Corinthians Library when it was still in existence back in the day, was um Sir Clive Woodward's autobiography. So it was quite interesting kind of hearing his take and how he prepared I mean you you see you you read about it or you watch it in Building Jerusalem, but that kind of how he prepared his team so differently to kind of the past eras and how he took inspiration from American sports and stuff. It was yeah, I mean it was pretty um pretty iconic. The game itself a classic. Like no, but it was before and four years before, they were better games. Yeah. It's true, it's true. Obviously, yeah, at again, the moment, yeah. the, the Jason Robinson's try, you know, that is I that is iconic. It's probably iconic though because Rugby Eight made it iconic because their starting video <laughs> it ended with him going down in the corner. This is this is what I mean about <laughs> we're getting into an era now where we can say funny things like this that make it special for us. And yep. the rugby away intro with him punching the ball, yes. That like is... That is uh... That's what I remember <laughs> for him. Even O'Driscoll's <laughs> trying the corner from that intro as well against Australia. It's true, it's true. Yeah, it was a pretty... I, little iconic moments in its own wee way, I suppose. Would be the best way to. Yeah, well, obviously we'll get onto seven then next week, but um, I'm more of a full tournament debrief in seven. But yeah, I'd be on the spot then. We've chatted about all the iconic moments from all the World Cups up to O three. Um, what are you saying then? What wins it for you? You know what I'm saying, Nick Regan. That's for me. When you, yeah. when you have something named that rugby club over, but I remember we had our drop kick was called Wilco in school as well. So, it's true. I mean, um, when you think, think about it, that call was like the most not disguised call ever when you really think about it. The Wilco, oh, I wonder what they're going to do. <laughs> I just want to say I actually hit our drop goal, our only drop goal, I think, ever that we in the games we played together. So you're just going Wilco. You're going Wilco. I'm going. Yeah, I'm you. like, I'm going. Sorry, I'm going Wilco because a drop kick on 100 minutes to win. Like in Australia against the defending champions, against a crowd of eighty two thousand, like mad, it has to be. It ha- for me, it has to be. I know, obviously, South Africa winning in ninety five is probably level with it. I don't know if I can have one. Can I have both? I want both. 
South Africa mainly for kind of like what it did for them as a nation and as a rugby. Yeah, and we had a better um, run of three finals in the bounce then. 95, 99, 03. It's pretty, pretty good. That's my iconic. What about you, Gregan? Well, as I keep saying, we're doing 07, which a lot of say was a disappointing final. So, mm, yeah, I'm saying 99, Gregan. They battered them in the final in each respect. And I'm going to leave it as well on this. The kit. That old school Aussie jersey, iconic. Iconic. And you know what? It's so like, like you want to talk about the fall of Australian rugby. You know what the you know what is lies the heart of it? This weird, like orange tinged jersey. I'm not for it. The iconic yeah. Australian jersey of kind of like late nineties, early noughties. That's when, you know, the Aussies were red hot. It all went downhill from that. Once they changed the jersey, that was it. Yeah, the green and then gold, but, but yeah, well, we'll leave it there, Zach. Thanks for taking a trip down memory lane, and apologies again to listeners that me and Zach weren't can't remember these World Cups. But as we mentioned, next week we're going to do seven proper breakdown about it, and then mm. every pod sent from that will be every single World Cup then in our lifetime we can remember. The early mornings of eleven, you know, it'll all come back to us. So can't wait. Thanks, Zach, and catch you next week. Cheers. Cheers, Delph. To anyone that's made this far in the podcast, follow follow us on all our platforms. Spotify at Telfoy Podcast, Twitter at Rugby Tell, Instagram Telfoy Podcast, even on TikTok nowadays, we're everywhere at the Telf Rugby. So please follow us everywhere and we'll catch you next week.